welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. I am your host, Jennifer Vaughn. I hope everybody is doing awesome today. It's the beginning of another week. We're doing it. Let's do this here. All right. I'm doing it too, although it's really not hard for me right now because I'm home. I'm not working. And it's really awesome to have like really honestly zero stress right now. I'm just doing stuff around my house. I'm able to do the social media stuff I want to do without really stressing out. I don't have to be anywhere at any particular time. And I don't have to plan for class for the next day. It's really a nice relief, honestly. It's where I'd like to be at all times, truly. Do I really want to sub? Not really, (laughs) but I have to pay the bills, so I've got to continue to do it. And while I'm there, I really do like it, but, you know, in all honesty, it's, you know, it's not really what I want to do, and it kind of pays the bills. It doesn't really pay the bills. I mean, it does. It gets me by. In actuality, they should be paying a lot more, especially for the area that we live in. I just am lucky because my rent is reasonable, and so I'm able to stay in this area. So... Okay, so yeah, it's summertime. And you know what else? You know what else it is? It's time to celebrate 60,000 subs on YouTube. What the fuck? Like seriously, there's 60,000 people that subscribe to my channel. I always say this, but I always remember when I hit 35. And I was like, who are these people? Why are people following me? What do they want from me? 60,000. We uh, we looked that up. Owen and I looked that up on the internet to see what that would look like in a stadium. 60,000 people sitting there and it was really um, shocking like but you know what in reality I don't feel like 60,000 people are reached at all on my YouTube I feel like it's about 3,000 that's what it feels like it doesn't feel like 60,000 because my videos um, when I put one out it doesn't have 60,000 views so clearly 60,000 people hit subscribe at some point and but they don't always watch my stuff which you know it's fine but it is fun to see that number and it is still mind-blowing regardless Um, I have to make some corrections because I like that I'm a Virgo and I'm really anal so when I re-listen to my podcast and I realize I made some errors I can't stand it so I've got to fix that I had mentioned that my real tech speaker wasn't working um I meant microphone I'm not talking into a speaker I'm talking into a microphone <clears throat> okay last week I had talked about my chartable results in Barbados in Jamaica and I hope that you all understood that there was sarcasm in all of that I'm not sure that came through okay when I was talking about being on stage this is going back a couple episodes at the club i could not remember what they called it when the men came up to the stage they call that the rail that's the rail it's not just called the stage it's the rail i also forgot to say that the stuff that they put on my eyebrows wore off about 10 minutes after i left the microblading shop and my eyebrows hurt like a son of a bitch for the rest of the day even through sleeping that night so just a heads up on microblading, it um, didn't get better even with ibuprofen. It really hurt. Okay, so during the surf sesh talk, I had talked about the fact that I'm goofy-footed, and when I take a right, uh, meaning that my back is to the wave, I said that I was front side. That is actually backside. In skateboarding, it's hard to explain. Front side is when you're facing the wave or the wall as well. And in skateboarding, that's scary because if you fall back, you're going to fall on your back. If you're surfing, it's just different. It's not scary. So I always associate front side with scary and or the opposite of what would be easy. And honestly, in surfing, if you're goofy footed and you're going 
on a right on a wave. That is more uncomfortable, I guess, if you want to say, because the wave is to your back. If you're facing the wave, it's a little bit easier. And so I don't know if that made any sense at all, but I screwed up on front side, back side. I was actually backside to the wave, not front side. Okay, I kept saying that I was surfing right in front of Jack O'Neill's house, although I never explained who Jack O'Neill is. For those that don't know, uh, O'Neill is a very, very big brand of wetsuits and apparel, and Jack O'Neill is basically the founder of the wetsuit. It's kind of an amazing thing to be in an O'Neill wetsuit surfing right in front of the guy's house who is the originator of the wetsuit. I also talked about anxiety while surfing, and I just wanted to make it 130 10% clear that it never has anything to do with sharks or thinking there's sharks in the water. That is not something that's in my mind. I mean, I can think about it when I'm out there, but it doesn't scare me. It's, I don't think anybody out there is thinking of that really, truly. I think it's all the people that don't surf are the only ones that think about it. So no, that isn't in my head at all. I also said that I was going straight on the wave. And what that means is I'm not going straight with the wave to the shore, like perpendicular with the shore. I'm actually running with the wave going down the wave and it's like you're going parallel with the shore. So I want to make that clear because that's a big difference. If you're new to surfing, most times you take the wave and you take it straight to the shore, perpendicular, that's straight. What you want to learn to do is to get into, they call it the green of the wave and you want to be in that pocket that's where the wave is breaking and all the power is and the energy and you take the wave um, parallel with the shore all the way down until it's done breaking, basically. So that's, I wanted to make that clear too, that I wasn't um, being a total kook and just taking white water straight to the shore. And last but not least, there was that story from the Tour de France and the cyclists who had all fallen down because of the lady holding the sign out. And I kept referring to the cyclists as bikers, like a total novice. So no, those are cyclists. They were cycling in the Tour de France. Okay, a couple other things before I get into this podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about something that I did yesterday for the first time in my freaking 50 years on this earth, and I'm looking at it right now, and it's on my arm, and I'm so excited about it. And I'll also talk to you about the new injectable called Cabinuva for people that are living with HIV. It's a new treatment that's come out. And I heard about this in 2016 when I was diagnosed that there was eventually going to be an injectable that you would only have to take once a month or once every two months. And I was really excited at the thought of this, you know, that was five years ago, but it is now here. It's here, people. It's on the market. You can go to your doctor and ask for it. I know it's here in the US. I know it's in Canada. Don't ask me beyond that. I don't know, but I'll get into it. I know two people who are already using it and they've had great results. Well, one I know is having great results. The other one is like a brand new guinea pig and we will see. Um, he was on my podcast, Cyber Homo, Edward. He is doing it. So, um, and I will have him on either here or on Instagram live or something, but we're going to talk to him. I'm kind of waiting for him to get his like viral load results before we go and talk about it. Let's just see if anything changes because that's really like the most important part. Um, but I will get into more about that medication in a second. 
Um, I wanted to let you guys know that I applied for USCHA, which is the United States Conference on HIV and AIDS, um, as a social media scholar. I've done this before, and so I'm trying it again. They would pay for my trip out there. It's going to be in Washington, D.C. this year. It's happening in October. I will not know until after September 1st. So um, we'll see if that happens. It's usually about a three or four day conference, and my job would be to go there and to report back through all of my social media media, what is happening at the conference, you know, interview people, stuff like that. So I'm sort of there as a reporter, which is fun. And I really like that. And then I get to, you know, see a lot of people that I see online a lot, but then everybody's there probably run into a lot of people that don't like me and just have to pretend like we like each other and obviously run into people that I'm dying to see in person and I finally get to see them so there's a lot of that too but yeah I'm not liked by everybody that's for sure and now I got some haters out there in the world of HIV advocacy and that's okay I mean I got those I don't like too so you know we're people we're human some people just rub us the wrong way so and I know I do that for people as well but that's just life okay so what I'm staring at. I'm staring at my new tattoo. It is on my left arm on the inside from the wrist going toward my elbow. I, well, let's just say I was planning on going my whole life without ever getting a tattoo. I had some kind of pride about the fact that I never went for this trend. And I was sort of proud of that. And I'm like, no, I'm just, there's nothing I want that I could have on my body for the rest of my life that I would really want to have there. There's like nothing. I couldn't think of a thing. I mean, I know I've been shot in a bank robbery. I've survived AIDS. There's things that could be very symbolic with regards to either of those things. I have three kids. Like there's obviously their names, their birth dates, something. Um, my family, my the women in my family, my sister, my mom, I believe both my nieces have a ladybug that they would like me to get. And I just, I don't know. I just don't know if I'm up for a ladybug. And I'm sorry. I know they really want me to get the ladybug. But I'm just not sure I'm going to do it. My daughters haven't done it yet, but I think they're going to. And then the pressure is really going to be on. But I hadn't done anything. And I was, again, pretty firm in that, that I didn't think I would ever get one. And then Ryan turned 18 and she had done a bunch of stick and pokes, poke and sticks, no stick and pokes, uh, where she was buying ink through Amazon under my nose and needles and she's in her room poking away at her skin and making designs on the backs of her fingers. She's got like some dots on the backs of her fingers and um, I think she did like a female sign, like the little circle with the plus. I can't even remember. It's not like noticeable to me. I don't like really see it. Um, she did a moon on her wrist that it was like a crescent moon and all of these things kind of get um, they bleed a little bit, so they're not as clean. The lines aren't as clean as what a professional could do. But she wanted to do this before she was 18, and this was basically her only option was to do it in her room. I think she did it on some of her friends. Also, I'm sorry to those parents if that happened. I had no control of this. I mean, maybe I should have, but whatever. I mean, it's her body. So um, yeah, she turned 18 and wanted to fix the moon on her hand. So she got a beautiful, oh my God, again, I think I've talked about this, but I'm not sure. I get so confused on what I've done on which um, social media platform, but uh, I think I did talk about this. Anyways, no, maybe it was on a YouTube video. Shit, I've got too many things going on. Um, so she has like a half moon with, not a half moon, she has like, it looks like henna, but it looks like a half circle semi-circle, you know, henna on her wrist covering this moon. It's beautiful. And um, 
she did. Yeah, I did. I talked about that. She has the above her leg. It says, love you. I it did. I remember now I did talk about this. And then um, I said I was going to go in and get mine. So I got mine and it's, um, it looks, you know, I didn't even realize until after he was done that it reminded me of the symbols that my brother uses for his drums. Zildjian is the brand of symbol and the writing, if you can see it in your head, that looks sort of like almost like Indian writing. I'm not even sure. And then Led Zeppelin. It sort of reminds me of the way I've seen Led Zeppelin written out. I mean, you can't read it because it's in Tibetan, but it says everything happens for a reason, which I just obviously, there's been several things in my life that make me feel that way. Um, number one, really contracting HIV and AIDS and then having this whole change to my life to be on social media. Obviously, that's probably top of the list. The shooting's a big one too. Obviously, that was a big deal, but it didn't really change my life in any way. So um, uh, yeah, and I've been through a lot of stuff as m many people have, right? I feel like this saying is so appropriate for really anyone, um, but I didn't want it in regular English lettering, because to me, that's just, I don't know. I just didn't want that on me. That's just, I don't know. I kind of find it ugly. Sorry for those that have American writing on their hand, but I just didn't want that unless it's like a name or something, but I just didn't want a, you know, like some kind of phrase in English written on my body. So, and it looks more like a design, truly. So I go in, we go in yesterday and I'm nervous because of course I've never done this. Oh, and Ryan, by the way, is the one. So I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but she was like, we have to get a tattoo together. And so that was what pushed it is like, I, she was, I want to do something that we're going to do together. And so what had started out as wild flowers, and I kind of found what I wanted, I couldn't figure out where I would put it on my body. I'm like, where do I want? And what does it even represent? Like, why would I put wild flowers on me? And I'm like, couldn't really wrap my brain around why I was picking wild flowers, other than the fact that I really like the way they look on a ring. I know that's kind of hard to understand but there's some silver rings that they sell online where they do like an engraving of like wild flowers on them and I think that's really pretty but I was like thinking my hip and then I'm like no this looks weird like I'm gonna have a bathing suit on and then it's gonna show the flowers on my hip no I don't like that so I kind of gave up on that and then somehow I don't even know how this came to me I was working my sub job and I started thinking of tattoos and looking up stuff online and somehow the phrase came into my head and I thought, I want to look that up in another language and see if I can find it. And I saw this and I'm like, that's it. That's what I want. So I don't know. I guess that's what happens with tattoos. You just have that moment where you're like, yep, that's it. That's exactly what I want. And I stuck with it. And so we got a hold of an artist. Um, there's a whole like backstory to like what it would cost because he told me it was 165 an hour. And so I put on Facebook, is that like too much for a tattoo like this? And I got totally both ends of the spectrum. Many people said you get what you pay for, don't go cheaper. That's definitely the right price. Um, because for me, it was just going to be about a four inch tattoo on the middle, you know, on the basically my wrist going towards my elbow. And um, other people said that's way overpriced. It be, should be like 75 to $100, you know, whatever. So I ended up staying with the same artist. And I didn't know I was planning on paying 165 and giving him a tip on top of it. I thought, well, it's just going to be $200. That I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bite the bullet and pay that because I don't know I don't want to reschedule this is already like scheduled I just want to go do it and it's fine what I mean I'm not gonna look back and be like oh my god I had to pay an extra forty dollars more than I thought I was gonna have to pay so I just whatever it ended up being a hundred dollars and then I gave him a twenty five dollar tip he didn't charge me 
for the full hour, which, you know, I thought that was really, uh, it was unexpected. And so, and Ryan's was also $100. So he left there, we left there and I gave him 250 And I thought that was a great deal. So that was that. So we go in and um, he prints out the you know, he, I had sent him a picture of what I wanted. It was basically the same tattoo on the back of this lady's neck. And if you have tattoos, you know, the process, how they, you know, pull it up, they print out the picture, they draw it up on the paper, and then they lay it down on your body and you look at it and kind of see with the paper, if the placement's in the right spot and the size and all that. And honestly, I had envisioned in my head that it would only go from my wrist, really right where my hand meets my wrist, um, and maybe down like three or four inches. I kind of envisioned something sort of tiny. And what he printed out was much longer. It's about, um, I'd say like eight inches. And I laid it down on my arm and I was like, oh, look at this. I am feeling a little wild and crazy. I felt a little bit in that moment, like, why not? Like, let's, let's do this. If we're going to do this, let's do this all the way. Let's go bigger. And I know he could have made it smaller because he didn't care. He's like, it's like very easy for me to make it smaller. But I thought, no, I'm going for the bigger one. And so this meant that it was going to go on most of my inner forearm. And that was never my plan. So that was kind of exciting in that, you know, spontaneous in the moment. No, let's go bigger. Like, let's do this. It's like, go big or go home. So, um, you know, we print out the thing. Oh, and I get the paperwork. So it gives me the paperwork. And I'm like, okay, so I like I've was talking to a friend the night before saying, do you think he's going to ask me um, about being HIV positive? I was a little nervous about that because I've heard some people have been refused if they say that they're HIV positive and they shouldn't be. And um, I know people that are are HIV positive who have had no trouble at all. Like it's just not a big deal, obviously, as it should be not a big deal because the protocol doesn't change regardless. They change the needles, they wear gloves, there's no risk at all. So I have this option. I'm looking for the word HIV on the paperwork. I don't see it anywhere. So I'm like, okay, so maybe it's not there. And then I get to the line that says, do you have any conditions that we should be aware of health conditions? And I'm like, Oh my God, like, did this guy look me up on social media? He might know he's got my full name. He might know that I already have HIV. And that if I put no, I'm like, God, am I like, is that illegal? I don't, you know, I don't want to lie. And I'm like, I got to do this I got to be honest. And part of me is like, I got to do this for my people. Like, you know, my HIV positive people, I need to show that I can, you know, confidently write down that I have HIV and I'm not afraid to say it. And this is who I am. And this is what you have to deal with. So I'm going to put it down. So I put HIV positive and in parentheses, I put undetectable. And I was like nervous. I was already nervous as it was, but I was a little nervous writing that down handed him the paper, kind of expected him to like look at it and like, you know, say something. He doesn't say anything. So I'm like, okay. So he takes me in the back. We, um, <laughs> I was going to say we had sex and then, no, we did not. I, started, <laughs> I don't know what that came into my head. Um, okay. So we go into the back. I lay down on the table. And by the way, Ryan got this picture of him putting the um, the paper on my arm. And he was he's from Sweden. I don't know. Maybe people from Sweden are fairly small. 
I would say he's in the 5'5 range. He's, and I'm, you know, 5'11. I look like this, like, monster standing over him. It is so bizarre. The, I don't know if it was Ryan's angle, but if you've been to the mystery spot, you know how, like, people can stand in one part of the room and they look like a giant and then the, the room looks like it's getting smaller or whatever. It, that's what this looked like. It looked like some weird optical illusion. I look like I'm 10 feet tall and he looks like he's about four feet tall. I don't know why. I don't, I didn't even put it on my social media because I'm so embarrassed about it. I just look like I'm this huge albatross. I'm literally looking on top of his head. It's really weird. So I lay down on the table and, um, you know, I'm ready. Like he's wiping my arm down. Of course, that all feels great. Yeah, it's like my arm's getting a little massage. I'm, you know, he's wiping stuff on like constantly and it's all the prep work and all that. And then he says, I hear the, the needle start going. And I'm like, wow, I'm doing this. Like this noise, I've heard this noise a million times. This is now happening for me. It's on my, oh wait, going back. I'm going too far in advance. Um, I jumped ahead. Uh, so as I'm sitting on the table and he's getting some stuff prepped, by the way, he had very few words. He's a kind of a quiet guy, very nice, but he's just there to do his job. He's not there to chit chat at all. He's not like a hairdresser. He's just doing his job. And, um, he was, I said to him, I don't even know why I said this just cause I felt like as soon as he was working on me, I felt like the conversation might start up then because he was already kind of quiet. And I thought, oh, maybe because he was just getting ready and he's in work mode. But as soon as he starts doing his work, then we're going to start having more of a conversation that didn't happen. But I thought, okay, now's the time to like strike up the conversation. So um, I, I, he's doing like prep work or whatever, walking around in the little room. And I said, oh, I'm surprised you didn't ask me about my status. I mean, I feel like a fucking idiot now that I even said that. And he turns around and looks at me, he goes, your status? <laughs> Now I realize he probably thought I was referring to the fact that I was single or married or divorced or, you know, newly married or whatever. And I, but that didn't like, and when I say status, of course, I always mean HIV, but he doesn't know that I'm thinking that. And he's probably like, what the fuck is she talking about? Like, why is she telling me this? And so I said, oh, my HIV status that I'm HIV positive. And then all of a sudden I'm like, did I just say that? Like, why am I saying this? And um, because I just thought for sure it would come up in the conversation. I thought for sure, like it must be glaring at him on the paper. And he goes, he just said, oh no, I don't know. Like I didn't, I didn't even see that or whatever. Like, and then he says nothing. And so I keep talking like an idiot and I'm like, oh, because you know, I'm really open about my status. It's like all over my social media. And so I wasn't sure if I should put it down, but I'm glad I did. You know, I'm undetectable, so it doesn't matter. I'm just babbling at this point because I feel like a fucking idiot for even saying anything because he didn't care at all. And as I babble, and I didn't babble too much, but he says again, <laughs> nothing. I'm like, okay, that is my cue to shut the fuck up. So um, I lay on the table, I've got my arm outstretched and the buzzer starts going, the needle starts going. And in my head, I'm thinking, remember, this is just a needle going up and down really fast, a little bit deeper than the microblading. Try not to think of it as a razor blade in your arm, because I know that's what Ryan said. It feels like a razor blade cutting your arm. Okay, well, it is really hard to, <laughs> to not visualize a razor blade, because that is exactly what it feels like. It doesn't feel like a little needle going up and down. It feels like somebody cutting your arm. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, he's like a cookie cutter, like he's cutting out this little design of my arm and he's going to peel my skin off. And it's going to be this design of this, what he just drew on my arm. Cause that is exactly what it feels like. So, um, 
I don't know. I filmed, you know, he takes, obviously, he doesn't do it all in one shot. He's like lifting it up here and there. And he's as he's going further down my arm. And by the way, we didn't start at the crease of my wrist where my hand meets my wrist because he showed me, you know, like when you pull your hand toward your elbow, he shows me how it wrinkles. And he says, that's like kind of a bad spot for a tattoo. It will make it um, possibly bleed more. I don't know. He just felt like it was better to start down about an inch and a half. And I was like, that's fine. He's the pro. I'm going to go with whatever he says. So I go down, we start down a little bit below my wrist. So it's not right between my bullet holes It's uh, or scars. It's down about an inch from there, which is cool. That's fine with me. So I'm deciding that um, as he's going, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, it's, it hurts, you know, it definitely hurts. And, but as he goes further down my arm towards my elbow, it's not as bad. So he does the first, you know, run through, it's just the outline and he has to go back and fill it all in. So I'm aware, like he's going to go, have to go back up to the top and go back down. I mean, I'm, I feel like a big baby even going into detail about this because there's people that have really intense tattoos all over their body and I really don't know how they do it. I really don't like this is, this is painful. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, maybe I should have, I know there was a guy that came in and had one put on. He was in the same room and they put the little design on and then he walked out and he was going to go have a quote unquote smoke before he came back in and had it done. So I thought, well, he's probably real smart. He probably had a little ganja and he's not going to feel as much. And then after I'm done with it, somebody wrote on my Instagram, my friend Gabby wrote, um, you know, there's this numbing cream you can put on like two hours before and you don't feel anything. And I'm like, I kind of want to feel it though, if that makes sense. I sort of want to feel it's sort of a badge of honor. Like I'm kind of glad I felt the pain, um, but I couldn't, I don't, you know, I couldn't do some really big intense tattoo. I, again, I just don't know how people go through all that. It is very painful. So um, I'm filming it because I think it's sort of taking my mind off the pain a little bit. So I did get some, I was really happy about those shots. I was like, that was really kind of fun in the moment to film myself and then film him. He was fine with any of the filming. He didn't care. He's just doing his job. And then, um, Ryan did hers. She did a sunburst on her solar plexus, um, which was very painful. Apparently on the little scale that you can look up online of the spots that are the most painful, that is right up there at the very top of the most painful spot right there between her, uh, as she calls them, her yitties. And, um, you know, the girl's 18 and, you know, she's taping her boobs up. I mean, I, I'm like, girl, I could never have done that. I would have been so embarrassed, but she handled everything like a queen. She was really, really good about it. Um, and I felt really guilty that I wasn't there for Joey's first tattoo. Joey told me it was fine. I actually wasn't there for Ryan's first tattoo either. Um, some friends down the street had taken her, she's like their other daughter basically, but they did that for her 18th birthday. They paid for her, um, two tattoos. So I didn't want to kind of like encroach on that because that was like their birthday present for her. Um, so I wasn't there for either of my daughter's first tattoos, but now going through the experience and having Ryan there with me, holding my hand. Did she hold my hand? No, I held her hand. But like just there was like that, you know, bonding time together and you're going through this experience together. I think it's really special to have that moment together with um, with your kids or whoever you love or whatever and, and go through that together. So yeah, I was there to hold Ryan's hand. She was really, really struggling with the pain. Thankfully, he didn't have to do a second pass. It's just a one time. It's one and done with every line. But she was really and he told her I mean he said ahead of time you know this is a very painful spot are you sure she wants to do it and I said she said she wants to do it so she got through it each of ours probably took about the same time I'd say probably 15 minutes each 
And um, and then we were done. And uh, we went to the beach and I covered mine up with, it was really kind of funny. I Well, he covered it with saran wrap and tape around my, like literally masking tape around my wrist and around my forearm. And I went to the beach. It was sort of felt like a badge of honor. Like I'm like, everyone's going to get that I have a new tattoo. You know, it's my, like I'm covering my new piece of artwork on my arm here people I hope you can all see that like I got a tattoo I'm feeling very very proud of myself and so we're at the beach and we're behind these guys one of them ends up being a teacher in my district I didn't I've never met him but he was a PE teacher and we one of them strikes up a conversation with me a different person and he says um something about and I wasn't even looking at him like I hear just hear this out of the blue you know something about the wrap on my arm and I look over and I said oh wait what and he he thought I had some surgery a surgical procedure and he thought they wrapped my arm with saran wrap and masking tape and I'm like oh my god no I have a tattoo he goes oh my god he goes I was gonna say that is the jankiest wrap job I've ever seen I'm like no no no, no. it's a tattoo I'm just supposed to keep this on it I guess but then I look down on my arm and I realize my I'm sweating like profusely underneath the saran wrap and it's disgusting. And so I'm like taking my teeth and trying to pull the tape off. I'm like feeling so embarrassed at this point. So finally get the saran wrap off. My arm was literally like just like I wasn't in the sun. I was underneath my uh, my umbrella, but it was warm. I was definitely warm and it was a hot day yesterday. And so my body was sweating underneath the saran wrap and it was really disgusting. So I did take it off and I've had nothing on it since. And um, it felt a little crunchy yesterday. I don't know, you know, you like move your arm and you can still kind of feel the the, the sensitivity. Um, but it's fine. It's, um, I love it. I freaking love it. I freaking love it like so much. I cannot even tell you. And I'm, yeah, I'm like, I don't even know. I understand now why people do this and they can't stop staring at it. And it's funny cause it's so egocentric. Like I know I am like looking at this and I'm, I can't stop looking at it. Like I love it so much. Will anybody else look at it like that? I doubt it. I think it's just me. It's me. You know, it's my thing. It's on me. And it's my new thing. I'm so proud of it. Like, I just, I love it. And I'm like, and I love that it's on my, I'm left-handed. It's going to be something I'm going to look at and see all the time because it's on that place on my body that I happen to look at a lot. And that was the thing. I wanted to make sure it was something that I could see. I didn't want it on um, a part of my body that I would never be able to see. Like, like I said, the tattoo that I found online, it was on this woman's, the back of her neck, which is beautiful. I mean, if you pull your hair up, I think that's really pretty, but I mean, she doesn't ever get to see her tattoo. So I'm I'm really glad that I can see it and um I yeah I fucking love it I really really do and I don't know if I'll get another one I know everyone says it's very addicting and more than likely I'm going to want to get another one um you know what comes to mind truly is m- my kids and to put something small you know representing them in some way so that that's a possibility Okay, so that's the tattoo story. Um, you know, I realized my paper shuffling was really fucking annoying, so I'm going to try to do, like, where I'm sounding like I'm just looking through papers. Does that work? That's too quiet. Let's try this one. Ooh, that's nice. Okay, we'll do that one. That sounded good. Okay, so let's see. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I wanted to... Oh, yeah, do you guys... This is just totally random. Um... When I go to the hairdresser, 
and I don't know why this is. She's awesome. I've been going to Debbie forever. But um, she has the bowl that she has is just a regular sink bowl, right? There's no pad where your neck goes. So when she washes my hair, I, I'm i in pain like right away. I don't, is it just me? I can't tell you, I cannot find a comfortable spot for my neck to lay on that ceramic bowl. And so I end up resting the bowl on my occipital bone. You guys know that that's what that is, right? It's the base of your skull. It's that little bone. It's, I mean, if you examine a skull, you'll see, and I learned this in um, anatomy. It's very cool. Our bones have so many names, like so many parts of the bones. Like one one bone probably has 10 names on different parts of it. And I learned all that and I, I did a freaking good job in anatomy, but I don't remember any of them now. But anyways, I do remember that that part of the skull and you can feel it with your finger. It's the back of your skull. It's the base. And it feels like a little round bone right there. That's your occipital bone. And anyways, that gets bruised every time I lay back on the sink and I'm in agony the whole time she's washing my hair. I'm trying to lift my head up like, and just hold my head off the sink. You know, I want to ask her, can I, can you put a towel down? But I never do. I don't know why. And I suffer through the whole thing. And I think, isn't it really obvious I'm in pain here? I mean, I'm, I'm readjusting my head constantly. And then I go home and I am in pain. The back of my head hurts. Not like it's hurting without me touching it. But like if I touch it for sure, it's super sore for at least two or three days after. This happens every time. And I feel like I don't understand why we have to use like it's 2021. Can we just put a pad there? I mean, I don't know. Is that asking too much or a towel? Like something? Like why? It's not the 50s. I don't know why I have to suffer in this bowl every time I go. It's crazy. Anyways, my poor occipital bone. Okay. Moving on, let's talk about Cabinuva. So Cabinuva is the new injectable that is now available in the United States and Canada. I do not know where else it's available. If you guys find out, please let me know so I can share that information. So basically it's two drugs. I'm taking two drugs right now. I'm taking Dilutegravir and Lamivudine in my Devato. It's two drugs in one pill. This is two separate drugs that you will take. Um, this is the PrEP as you get ready for the injection. So they have you take the oral pills first and their pills are, okay, I'm gonna to try to pronounce this, cabotegravir, cabotegravir, oh my God, I can't freaking say this. Cabotegravir, oh God, it's cabotegravir, cabotegravir, there we go. And this one I cannot do, real pivirine real pivorine. So as you can see, I take dilutegravir. This drug is cabotegravir. Okay. Tabo, cabotegravir. Okay. Anyways, you hear that they're similar, right? So those do the same thing. Those are actually called integrase inhibitors and they, they do the same thing. They, and I'm going to quote this from the internet. Integrase inhibitors are a class of antiretroviral drug designed to block the action of integrase, a viral enzyme that inserts the viral genome into the DNA of the host cell. Since integration is a vital step in retroviral replication, blocking it can halt further spread of the virus. So it literally just stops the replication. That's what an integrase inhibitor does. Then there's the other pill, which is real piv 
Real, God, this is so hard. Rilpivirine, and I take lamivudine. And as you can hear, those sound similar as well. They both end in an I-N-E. Those are their um, class of medication is called a nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor or an NRTI. And I believe that's doing the same thing. It's just blocking the replication, probably at a different stage of replication. And so with these two drugs, the virus never gets a chance to do fucking anything. It just lays dormant because it you know, these drugs are constantly blocking what it wants to do, and it doesn't get to do it. So fuck you, HIV. So that's what happens with those. And then so what they do is they have you take each pill for a month, just to get used to any type of side effects. I've talked to Edward, and he told me that all he's feeling at this point is having intense dreams, which is something that can happen. And typically, nobody complains about that, because I mean, hell, that could be a lot of fun, right? So we're not complaining about intense dreams. Um, But he hasn't had any nausea, no headaches, nothing like that, which is awesome. And so then when he's done with the one month of treatment, I believe he will start his injections. And it's going to be one shot of one drug in one cheek and one shot of the other drug in the other cheek, butt cheek, not face cheeks. Oh, did you hear that? That was my stomach. I just drank coffee and it just like made so much noise. Okay. Um, and then he will eventually go in what I think it's once a month right now. And you do have to go into the clinic and have this done. And then I think eventually it will be once every two months. And what I think, and I don't know where I talked about this. I think I talked to this on, on a YouTube live. Yes, I did. I talked about this on a YouTube live. I think the efficacy for the medication lasts much longer than a month or even two months. It probably is efficacious for up to four months, but to be on the safe side or just to cover efficacy, they probably, you know, give you another treatment before there's ever a chance for it to um, come down or be less efficacious, if that makes sense. So you know, I think there's always going to be those people who will worry that, oh my God, what if I become detectable within the time between the next injection? And I'm sure obviously through research, they know that that is not going to be possible because they're getting that next injection before that's ever even possible, which again, I think that truly the medication would fade down. So as far as U equals U is concerned, this is obviously going to be covered and you're going to be undetectable the whole time. And so far, I have one friend in Canada who follows me. His husband is HIV positive. His husband, ironically, doesn't follow me, but he does, the the one that is HIV negative. And he said his husband's um, already doing this in Canada, and it's been fine. I think he's into at least two months of doing this. So here's the thing. This really psychologically is so beneficial for people living with HIV because the pill every day... I don't, for me, it doesn't bother me, but the pill every day is a reminder, obviously, that you have HIV and you have to take this pill and you have it. You know, it's in your head that you have it. You have to look at that pill every day. Again, I don't feel that. I just take the pill and I don't think anything of it. But for a lot of people, they don't even want to take the medication because of that reminder. There are people that don't even want to take it just because of that. And there's a lot of people that are afraid of the side effects too. And so they don't want to take it. Um, But I think this new form of medication is so beneficial psychologically for people that have HIV because you will just go in, have this injection, and then that's it. You're not thinking about it anymore. You just go on with your life. And that is a tremendous advancement for people living with HIV. I mean, I 
I'm really, really excited about this. I I think I said in the beginning of this that I'd heard about this in 2016 and knew it was on the horizon and they were still doing the studies or, you know, there's, it takes a long time for um, things to, you know, come around. There's ideas and then all the research and the study and, and the trials and all of that. It takes a long time. So it's finally here. It's taken five years since I was diagnosed. I had said before that I'd didn't really want to change because I'm already taking, you know, Devato and that's been a really good change from Triumec because I'm minus one drug now. I don't have to take a Bacavir and I can't tell you offhand what a Bacavir does. It might be another integrase inhibitor, but apparently you don't need all three. They've found obviously you can get by with just two and you still can stay undetectable. So I would like this new treatment and I'm going to talk to my doctor about it the next time I see her, which is probably like in a couple months. Um, I did find out that Edward is on basically, I can't remember what he called his Medi-Cal, but there's a name for it down there. It was, there was a specific name for it, but it sounds like we have the same thing. We're both on state Medi-Cal, which is, it's state insurance. So we're on free medical insurance. And so he was able to get it through his with no trouble. I'm thinking I should have no trouble as well. And I would really like to do it so that I can share my experience with people that follow me. I think that that would be so awesome to be able to give this information back to people because people come to me obviously for um, advancements or, you know, information about HIV. So I would love to be able to do that. And, um, I, it, you know, I wouldn't have done it, I don't think so, if Edward hadn't done it. Just seeing that he was doing it was like, oh, wow. Okay, I know somebody who's doing it now. Okay, this really is a thing. Like, this is happening. So, yeah, I'm ready to get on the bandwagon just like I am now on the uh, tattoo bandwagon. <laughs> I have officially joined that club. All right, moving on. Let's see how much time we have left. I never want to make these longer than an hour. Um, thank you to... Oh, I got time. Okay. Thank you to uh, Misty Diane also for listening to my podcast and promoting it on her Instagram. I really appreciate that. A shout out to my friend Daniel in Chicago. And oh, and I did want to say really quick, I should just say a little something really quick that um, I am not with Eric anymore. And I, you know, I'm not going to go into any details I just want to say that that is what is happening in my life. I am uh, single and um, I just want to say that, you know, long distance, it just proved to be harder than we thought. And so it became um, an issue, the long distance. And so that is what I will say about that. And that's all anybody really needs to know. And it's sad. We have um, some amazing memories and, you know, I, I will always cherish all of those memories but, you know, with life, there's change and um, I'm okay now and I'm, you know, looking forward to my future and, you know, new changes and all of that. So just wanted to just say that and get that out of the way. All right. All right. So last thing I wanted to talk about was Netflix. They have a new um, documentary series about pop music. It's called This Is Pop. The first episode covers boys to men. And I, my, uh, I listened to the brain candy podcast girls and they had talked about this and I thought, Oh yeah, that's right down my alley. I want to watch this. Well, it was so much better than I even thought, or maybe it's just one of those things because I was just so in the moment when I watched it, but you know, I always liked boys to men. I mean, probably not enough to go see them in concert, but I did have their CD. I'll make love to you. I'll make love to you. And what was the other song? There's two really big songs. Hold on. 
Uh, they had that song with Mariah Carey, which was a big deal. And Motown Philly was okay. I mean, it was their first song that came out. But that's the one that got to me because of what this man said about it who was being interviewed. He's a, um, let's see, he is the Billboard chart historian. I didn't catch his name. Um, but this is what he said about Motown Philly. Okay, so basically they were going into the whole thing about how they were really the original boy band. But really, they weren't because who was the original boy band? Well, I'm sure everybody will say the Jackson 5. But New Edition truly was the original boy band. And I have to say that that was my very first concert. I was, I don't think I was even driving yet. Um, no, God, I went with Janine Pete. She's so badass. She was a friend of mine when I was younger. And we did, I did so many like crazy things with Janine Pete, like learn how to ride a unicycle. That's a really funny story. Rode, you know, dirt bikes. We did, you know, I went water skiing with her and her family. And um, anyways, I feel like a lot of the things that I do now, I feel like come from that time in my life with Janine Pete, where I was learning how to do some things that I would never have tried in my life. And that's kind of like where I am now with skateboarding, surfing and snowboarding. But anyways, Janine Pete and I had gone to go see a new edition at the Circle Star Theater in San Carlos, which was a uh, basically when you walk into the Circle Star, it's a circle, all the um, you know, you're looking at the stage down in the center. I also saw Jerry Seinfeld there. And that was back when he was talking about pants. There was something about jeans. There was some joke about jeans. He was he was big on Seinfeld at that moment, but not as big as he is now. And he was still, do, you know, doing touring as a comedian. And I remember that concert. I laughed so hard. My face hurt at the end. of the, I'm, My cheeks hurt from laughing so hard. He was so funny. Um, but I, we saw a new edition there. And this place wasn't that big. And I remember just being like, oh, my God, like, they're right there. And, and this the stage turns, you know. And so um, Michael Bivens, who was in New Edition, he had gone to this school. It's this art school in Philadelphia where the boys that are in Boys to Men, this is where they started. They were put in school there, some of them against their, like, really their wishes. They One kid wanted to play, I think is oh gosh, I'm not going to, hold on, I got to look up his name. Boys to Men members. Oh, God, I don't know how to say his name. Wanye? Wanye? Oh, fuck, I'm so sorry. It's W-A-N-Y-A. Wanye? Wanya? Oh, my God, I don't know how to say his name. Morris. Anyways, he's he's kind of like one of the main singers. There was one guy that sang, like, very deep. Um, that was Michael McCary. There's Sean Stockton, who I kind of like a little crush on on Sean. He was the skinnier guy. And then there's Nathan Morris, who also had a bit of a deep voice. But I would say that, oh my gosh, Wanye, I feel like that is not right. But him and Nathan are sort of like the two like lead vocalists, I would say, out of the group. Just to clarify, Nathan and Wanye are not brothers, even though they both have the last name Morris. Just a coincidence. Anyways, Wanye... I'm going to kill myself if I'm saying that wrong. He was, you know, he really wanted to play football, apparently. And his parents are like, nope, you're going to this school. You can sing and you need to do this. So these guys had just, you know, they were like going to school there and they decided to, you know, harmonize in the hallways. They said that's how it started. And there was like a um, talent show coming up, you know, at the school. Obviously, there's lots of talent there. So they, you know, they showcase it at times. And these guys had put together a performance for their everybody that they know, right? These, they weren't like famous. They were just going to school with everybody. So they said, and they didn't have any of this on film, unfortunately, but they said after that performance, they said people cheered 
like like they felt like something big was happening for them like that was like they said that was that moment for them like they knew they had something special and it they said it was because of the way everyone reacted they didn't expect that and so apparently they had this killer performance and for whatever reason Michael Bivens was there from New Edition and Michael Bivens said to them, you know, that was amazing. And he goes, all he could do for them at that moment was give them a number of somebody to contact to like help them maybe forward their career. And so he gave him this number. He said, and Michael Bivens says in the documentary, it was like the only number I actually knew by heart. So I gave that to them. You know, this is before cell phones and everything. So apparently these guys were calling that number and I don't think anything was happening. So then they start calling Michael Bivens and they said, hey, you know, would you want to be our manager? And Michael Bivens had never even considered this. And so that led to Michael Bivens becoming not only their manager, but he became an executive record producer. The guy is super talented. And it was really fun to hear his take on their beginning. And kind of like it was sort of his departure from New Edition as well, because now he was in this managerial role. And he knew how to market these boys, because what he did is he made them popular across the board. He dressed them a certain way. They all wore the same clothes all the time. If you guys remember from the videos, he put bow ties on them to make them look proper so that they would go across all music lines. They could do gospel interviews. They could do rap. They could do Motown. They could do soul. They could do pop charts. So all of a sudden, people like me, and this is what got me, like I get emotional thinking about it. They got the white audience that they didn't anticipate. I don't know why this makes me emotional, but it does. They basically said like back then, music was very segregated. It was like there was black music and there was white music. And like, I guess the thing that gets me is that I didn't even realize I was, you know, crossing these lines. I was just watching these guys sing and I thought they were freaking amazing and I loved their songs. And I, I like, I didn't see color. I just saw these guys that were talented and I really loved their music. But they said when they would go and be at their concerts, they would look out in the crowd and they said 85% of it was white girls, which like just fuck. Yes, that's amazing. And it makes me so happy for these guys. So this is the part that was mind blowing to me. So they put out this song called Motown Philly. If you listen to the lyrics, it's literally them telling you about their journey to become famous. This is their first hit. And so this is the quote from the historian from Billboard magazine. He says, quote, they're telling you their own story in the lyrics of the song. It's the most meta possible debut you could have. You're commenting on your own breakthrough in your debut single. These are the words to the song. Remember, we're just getting to know them for the very first time on the charts. We have no idea who Boys to Men is, but this is what they're singing to us like they knew. They say and I don't know, like nobody realized that. I don't know why didn't we realize that in the moment when they were singing the song to us. Back in school we used to dream about this every day. Could it really happen or do dreams just fade away? And then we started singing them. They said it sounded smooth. Then we started a group and here we are kicking it just for you. How fucking badass is that it made me look at them in a totally new light so i i just really love this documentary they there's some people that comment on their singing ability and they say like they were olympic singers and really if you listen to them 
they were. Like, we don't get that so much today. There isn't always these singers that have these amazing voices that can hold a note. And these boys were, like, meant to sing. Like, they were they were born with this talent. And then there was this really sweet part where Wanye talks about when he was singing Motown Philly and his voice sort of cracks. Babyface was also involved in producing this first album for them, but or maybe several after. But um, his voice cracks a little bit. It's not real obvious, but he wanted to redo it. And Babyface was like, no, we're keeping that. Like that, it, it, there's so much emotion and it's like he is going from a boy to a man. I mean, it's so profound in that just hearing him sing, right? So of course, keep that in. I mean, it makes it even more special. And then they went on to have a huge hit with Mariah Carey, One Sweet Day, which, oh my gosh, all of these songs were on the charts. They broke so many records with their songs. And then it, you know, it comes down and it winds down to like what's happening today. And, you know, they're doing very small venues. Apparently it had come to a point because you know what happened in sync and the Backstreet Boys came on the scene and so did 98 Degrees. And they said that they pulled many of their ideas from what Boys to Men had done. And so they kind of just ambushed the pop charts after that and Boys to Men faded away. And so they said it came to a point where they were, you know, going to very small venues and there was maybe like... 500 people there and so it really obviously that's really hard on your ego and like they would look at each other like you know is this really what we should be doing so the one guy who always did the really deep voice um parts of the song he decided he was gone and they didn't really have anything nice to say about him just it doesn't sound like they're in contact anymore but he wanted to be an accountant so he's now an accountant um but the three other guys stockman Morris and Nathan, I don't remember his last name. Uh, they're still a trio and it sounds like they still do, you know, they do. I looked up their concert. I actually wanted to go, but there was nothing in California. Um, but they still do play live as they should. I mean, these guys are amazing and they still put together a great show. But um, it's nice to hear that the guys from NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and 98 Degrees, some of them were in this episode. And they really do give them credit for these guys laying down the road for them to jump on it and become famous. In the interim, you know, Boys to Men faded away, which is sad. But really, it made me want to like pull out my Boys to Men <laughs> CDs. I guess I don't really need to do that. I'll just go on Spotify and play them. But, um, you know, listen to them. Give them a listen. Their voices are epic. They really are. They are like a Mariah Carey back in the day. They can belt the songs out. And um, they can hold a note and they can harmonize and their voices are instruments. And I don't know why, but people that can sing like that, it touches me. Like I was obsessed with American Idol. I used to cry all the time watching it because I can't sing worse shit. So I always think like people that have this, I always say God-given talent, even though I'm not really religious, but I do feel like there's these people that have this voice like, and it touches you somewhere in your soul. It's really amazing how a human talent like that can have that direct effect on another human. And I can't really explain why it is. I just because I know it's special and it does something to you. So um, I think I'm going to end my podcast for this week right here. Um, I do have something in the works. I have somebody that I'm going to be speaking to about human trafficking um, very soon. She has a book out and she went through a horrific time. And um, I, I, it's it's something I want to prepare for 
pretty well, and I want to give her the time on here that she deserves, and I want to make sure it's done well. So um, I'm working on that soon. She and I are in contact a lot. She's in the UK. Um, you can even look her up right now if you want to. She's at MS Kate. C-A-I-T Spencer on Twitter. If you want to look her up, like I said, she does have a book out and she's in contact with Rosanna Arquette and Selma Blair and all these celebrities who have supported her through this journey after her book came out because there's this crazy thing about human trafficking that some people actually don't believe you. We're going to get into that. So I'm really looking forward to that. And um. That's it. You guys have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, John. Hey, Brian. Anyone else who's out there? Steven. I got to get some more names. <laughs> okay, guys, have a good one. And um, eat a donut today. Do something fun for yourself. All right. Bye, guys. If you'd like to be notified for any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Thanks, guys.